Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories? This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. A master facilitator, a transformation driver and an absolute airline geek, Lynn Kazali is on a mission to shake down perfectionism. Her latest book is titled Ish, The Problem with Our Pursuit for Perfection and the Life-Changing Practice of Good Enough. And perfectionism is a problem. It's been known to cause overthinking, overworking, burnout, sleeplessness and mental health problems like depression and anxiety. And what's even worse is that it's on the rise. In this conversation, we unpack the role that curiosity plays in order to help us change our perspectives. And Lynn puts a number of challenges out to all of us, like what would it be like if we just did things good enough? How might we experiment more with our work? And what if we put our work out quicker, got feedback and iterated on the go? Letting go of perfectionism is not for the faint-hearted because it will require change. But there is an invitation to ish more often in your life. And the truth is when you do, others may not even realise you are doing it. So if you're looking for more time, more enjoyment and more freedom to let go of the pressures, which really all of us are, then you'll get a ton out of this conversation. We explored, we unpacked and we laughed with the remarkable Lynn Kazali. Lynn, it's such a delight to be sitting down with you in this studio. Thank you, Ali. <laughs> There's, uh, you are one of Australia's most booked facilitators and keynote speakers. You are travelling and on the move all the time. And as a side note, you're a total airline geek. I am. Where does that come from? Well, it could be from my father's, a or was, you know, a um, diesel mechanic, uh, but I wasn't interested in buses, <laughs> which is what he was working on. But I do remember he had a double record that was called Salute to Sound and it had this wonderful narrator and he would introduce and it would say the F-111 and then it would s- play the sound of the F-111 wow. plane starting up and then flying. And I used to just imagine, wow, I wonder what that plane looks like. So it was a real curiosity creativity spark. It's not like we played that album all the no. time. <laughs> I'm almost picturing it. It's, a, it's almost like that voice of, please turn the page. Yes, the narrator. You, the narrator yeah. that comes through, but that fascination of not being able to see it, but hear it. Yeah. So then imagination was running wild. And yeah. then we did travel a lot when I was younger. So, and, and started young, I guess, on, on planes. And what was that for? For? Um, was that because of work or travel? M- or? Mum's family from Tasmania. So it was from a very early age, it was we were always going over there to see family. And uh, when I was about 11 or 12, we lived in Singapore for a couple of years. So the big flight over there and then the big flight to Europe for a holiday. So that was pretty exciting to go on a plane. But but then, you know, later on, I, I'd say in my early 20s and 30s, I had a huge fear of flying and that feeling of turbulence and fearful that I was going to be sick and I would look stupid and all of these horrible sides of flying. Does, and that was unusual? That yeah. was something different for like you? Like where did that come from? 
But I found the answer to that is back in curiosity. He's going, well, why don't you understand a bit more about turbulence and how planes aren't always flying at the, you know, at the same height all the time and they're avoiding weather and uh, they're incredible feats of mechanics, you know. So curiosity actually helped me get out of a less than helpful place and now the, the geekness just keeps growing. That's now really... I'm into helicopters as well. Oh, really? So, <laughs> <laughs> branching out. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's so interesting because I've actually found, and I don't know whether it's age or seeing my kids grow up, but I've definitely that sense of turbulence mm. now um, brings a heightened level of uh, angst or anxiety in a way that it hadn't before and it feels really different and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Mm. Like what's this kind of coming from? But I love that sense of we'll find out more about it mm. um, that then feeds that curiosity and therefore the the geekness yeah. <laughs> kind of grows. <laughs> and so is that something that has extended? Because you're in and out of airports all the time yeah. and most people go, oh, God, having to line up and do all of that. But is that something that extends for you? Yes, because I'll book a particular flight based on the type of aircraft that's flying. So it's it's not a random thing for me. I will choose particular flight destinations and routes because of the airline or the type of aeroplane and where I can sit on that plane and uh, those sorts of things. And I'll go and look out the window at the planes mm. and, um, yeah, just get a bit more interested in what's going on. And all of the support too. I mean, you look at what's involved on the ground to get an aircraft ready for flight and it's it's can be quite captivating if you put your camera on time lapse and film uh, and then watch it back, watch all the activity that goes to create, you know, and get a plane ready for flight. And we tend to just walk on quite blase and go, oh, yeah, here we go. It's, you know, it's just a big bus. Um, no, it's an incredible feat of it's machinery. A, oh, it's an incredible. Just, yeah, I have no idea how. Like, I'm sure, <laughs> and it almost makes me want to now research and look into it because there are moments, and I will definitely go down that that period of just getting on and, and mm. straight into the movie or mm. straight into listening to a podcast and you're kind of detached from the experience. Yeah. And even as you look around, I think more and more we, you know, people are even detached from each other, so yes. let alone the experience of we are in a machine that is flying through the air getting, so I live on the Gold Coast, so getting down here to Melbourne in two hours That's right. is yeah. crazy and it happens all day every yep. day yep. without any commentary or any yeah any sense of wonder there mm. are times there are moments where i've caught myself in that but i quickly forget that in amongst the run of it run of the mill yes yeah and we can then be um, demanding uh, and have oh you know my flight was delayed half an hour i think so what? You know, they are making sure the plane's full, that it's financially viable <laughs> for the business and it's mechanically, mechanically worthy. You know? and, it's not going to have bits but, drop off it. No, that's right. And, oh, it was a bumpy landing. I'm like, but you landed. Yeah. You know, this is some of the things that we can get a bit other things we get caught up in and I think it's good to look at the stuff that really does matter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that thread of obviously curiosity, which then curiosity provides perspective, mm. is obviously part of the thread of not only the work that you've um, now put out to the world with your book but in the work that you do. Has curiosity always been a part of your your world? 
I think so. I think if, you know, if you ask people, oh, how would you describe Lynn? They'd probably say things like, oh, she's very creative. And and what is that? Uh, you know, am I standing there at an artist's canvas with a brush? Well, maybe not, but I'm probably coming up with hacks and shortcuts and clever ideas. And maybe it's the ingenuity part of creativity uh, and the curiosity part of creativity. So, yeah, always wondering. I was always making up games and making up dances at high school. You know, we'd play music and I'd make up this little dance. <laughs> Nothing highly theatrical, but it was just Do one of those... Do you remember what songs you were doing that to? Oh, yeah, you know, Frankie Valley's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> The Angels, um, yeah. uh, those, the Kiss, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yes. So, um, Mine was Roxette. I, yes. like, I remember okay, <laughs> really hot. <laughs> <laughs> so those periods, but yeah, so that sense. And, and was that something that was fostered throughout even your kind of upbringing, your world. Yeah, I think the, I I love the word ingenuity. So it's creative, in my view, it's creativity for a purpose and with a solution in mind. And so a lot of the work I've done is in roles of communication, you know, I've worked in in the healthcare field, in, in public health, education, sport, media, arts, you know, held these um, usually communications and public relations roles. And so we're always thinking, how am I going to package this message up for the audience? Or how am I going to make people take notice of this information? So you're always trying to be curious, stepping into the shoes of, of your audience, but also trying to kind of hack yourself or hack the tools that you have. So I think that curiosity was always, you're always looking for um not a bright, shiny object, but looking for a new way to maybe do an old thing. Which starts with that ability to stop and question, mm. why are we doing it this way? And does it does it have to be done? Yeah. Which and I'm sure you've heard it uh, time and time again where people go, it's just the way we've always done yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, and that resistance to try a new way. And, and this is one of the movements underway in the work world at the moment is called New Ways of Working. And, and people are very resistant and stuck in old ways of working, which are very last century ways of working. So even switching curiosity on at work or in your daily, you know, your daily routine, why am I doing this this way? Is there another way to do this? I want to come back to your, I mean, in a moment, come back to your dance around that curiosity, but, but I'd love to dive in here where you've talked about that, that, that questioning in the place of work. How do you or how have you seen it done well to invite people to think about a different way of doing things? Because that's often the first step that's really, really hard is to allow people the permission to or the invitation to just go just maybe, just entertain me for a moment mm. or we can come back to that and we can do it that way. But that resistance to even consider, um, and I, again, I love that word ingenuity as well, is is to go that it's possible that something's new. How have you gotten people through that first step, the invitation to consider it? Uh, I think the invitation can be the same. So perhaps they've been invited to a team day or a strategy session or an off-site and these sorts of things can be quite similar or the same. Oh, you know, another one of these team days. So the sameness is something that can actually help people go, oh, yeah, I know what this will be like, what, what it will be like, I'll be okay there, I can do this. And so they come along and 
Then throughout the day, as a facilitator, that's when I start to introduce some of those newer ways of working. So understanding they, they're probably going to be in some similarity at first, which is good for comfort. Yep. I know what to do yeah. here. I know how to operate. That's right. We'll get to morning tea and we'll all look at our phones. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that comfort in ritual. Okay. But yes. then throughout the day or session or hour or however long it is, I will be introducing some new things and not dramatically. You know, I hear terrible stories and, and we've all experienced it at conferences where the MC says, you know, welcome to the event and now go and talk to someone you don't know. And the, the risk of that for introverts, for example, is so high. It's so It can be so terrifying and disengaging. Whereas if we go to it more um, step by step throughout the session... Um, people are much more willing. So it's like taking little risks throughout the day rather than big dramatic risks at the start. Yeah, right. So, so yeah. coming back to that, I wouldn't send an invitation, say, hey, come along, we're going to have a hugely different day and it's going to be out of the box and it'll be, people will be going, what? I'm not going to that. <laughs> Turns out I've got something on. I'm yeah. going to get out of here. <laughs> I might pop in at lunchtime and see how you're doing. Yeah. So I okay, start with so meeting sameness. people with where they're at, yeah. that sense of sameness and then just where are the moments that we might be able to stretch or implant mm. that sense mm. of curiosity. And then by the end of the day, you've actually got people quite malleable and mm. they'll be taking way more risks than they were at the start of the day. I think it's, we get it round the wrong way. We try and push huge risk at the start of the day. And, and then wonder why no one's following. Of course, because <laughs> then there's more resistance, more resistance, and you actually don't get a big move in yeah. team or groups. Even so. visually, that concept of malleability. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking people listening, it might be, well, what might I do if I have a team? But even on a personal level, yes. if I want to open up my own curiosity is just, where can I be a little bit softer around the edges? Yeah. Where can I just be a little bit more flexible in that thinking or just dive into a bit of that? Yeah, and that curiosity. is curiosity and then, you know, trying trying something new. It only has to be a little bit, a little something. And we hear those pieces of advice like drive a different way to work today <laughs> or, you know, have your coffee in a different style. So these differences uh, do do take us out of that comfort, but it yeah. could it could be the step to having a really different day or a really different routine that could help unlock some better ways of thinking and working. That tie-in of curiosity and therefore the perspective that it can then give you. Now, you have tried a few different things and one of the things from just having a quick read through your book uh, that we have in common is a love for whose line is it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And you talk a little bit about your um, stepping into improv. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about first of all, why and what that experience was of stepping into, I guess, more in a theatre kind of environment, yeah. um, the the practice of, of improv. Yeah, well, I think it, it probably started when I was on the performing on the veranda at home at age six or seven, you know, making up concerts and as lots of kids do. Um, and and then sliding doors moments in your career where perhaps you could have gone into, you know, could have gone into broadcasting, I could have gone into theatre, but we choose different paths. But somehow something in that keeps coming back to us, it keeps knocking on our, on our door or tapping us on the shoulder and go, hang on, you do like this stuff. So being captivated with an improv show like Whose Line Is It Anyway, where all the stuff's made up, 
and the points don't matter, as they say. All the stuff's made up, but it's made up within some constraints. So it's not totally chaos. Uh, chaos. It's it's chaos within a boundary. And that, I think, is incredible creativity and freedom right there, is that you can do whatever you like within these boundaries. So uh, I'd noticed some local improv with uh, here in Melbourne, Melbourne Impro, and most cities around the world have an impro troupe and they uh, were performing and so I'd go and see their shows and then they would promote at the end of the night their courses uh, that were open to the public. And I was like, what? You mean you can learn this stuff? Uh, so Which even feels funny, right, to learn <laughs> improv, but when you say yeah. there needs to be a boundary and a rhythm and a pattern to the uncertainty and the unknown of winging it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. That is, that is. So they, uh, I then learned through a few semesters that improvisers work from a series of principles and that's how you can have uh, improvisers who have different languages and cultures. They can be thrown together in a uh, an ensemble, at barely know each other. They just do a few warm up exercises, and then they put on an incredible performance. So it's these principles of you know accepting suggestions from others and not blocking or denying what someone has said. Um, like if I said, hey, you're a great tennis player, aren't you, Ali? And you go, oh, no, 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 I'd, I've never played tennis. But in improv, you'd go, you bet I am, you know, and I'm lining up for the Wimbledon final this week. And add to it and build yes, on it. Yeah, yeah, adding and building. So curiosity keeps coming uh, along in improv and and the um, the characteristic of spontaneity of going, I don't know what's going to happen. And for control freaks, that's scary. I was about to say, there'll be plenty of people listening going, sounds like my worst nightmare. Like, yeah. And then partly it's that uh, the human nature of I want the guarantee that it's going to land. I want the guarantee that this will get the laughs. I want the guarantee that this will work. And improv is set up that there is zero guarantees mm. and it's almost a reflection of life because there is zero guarantees mm. in that. So to... to you know, purposefully step into the uncertain, unknown. I have no idea where this is going to go. I'm not even sure if I'm going to say anything, let alone what the people around me are going to do. Mm. Someone might, not that I would imagine it in what you were looking at, but that kind of thing if someone might hog or, yeah. you know, follow a storyline and make it about them. Yes. And, yeah. you know, all of that can can happen in that sense of, uncertainty. What did you learn about <laughs> stepping into uncertainty through through that process? Well, that word control, we do try and control the outcome. So there's some great exercises where some of the games, like one's called a word at a time story, and we would then tell the story, each contributing one word. And you've got to let go of control of expecting where the story's going because someone else is contributing to it now. And Together, you have to work out where the story's going, not individually. And so this reflects at home, mm. this reflects in our work world, this reflects in our communities where we might be trying to, you know, desperately trying to control or force an outcome and learning the skill of, of um, improv and being able to let go of control and trust yourself is what helps make great improvisers. So it's for me, it's a skill that allowed me to listen better and 
as one of the gurus of improv, Keith Johnstone, he will say, we are shocking sensors of ourselves. We come up with great ideas and then we immediately censor them and we don't put them forward. Whereas improv, he says, if that idea comes into your mind, it now has to come out your mouth. Like, don't censor it looking for a better idea or a better response. Let it come out. So giving up that control when you're learning it is actually you go, oh, no, but I want to be a good improviser. You know, I want to be a perfect improviser. Well, to be a good one, you you need to listen, look at people, you know, watch hand gestures and body language. Ah, okay. These are all really good things for communication. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, God, look at that. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's um, I mean, it also starts with that letting go of the outcome. Mm. You know, that one-on-one story, I can imagine, that one-word story, I can mm. imagine you go, yeah, but where I was going was way better That's than where it. you were. <laughs> and you've kind of got to let that go for the gift of the, the bigger group or mm. where that's heading to. But to sit and listen, it sounds really... I don't know, every day, but it's not something we are taught or necessarily mm. in amongst a busy world and, and sense of expectations. Mm. It's not something that we we necessarily do or tune into consciously. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a bit like breathing, right? I think we do it every single day. We're not taught <laughs> how to do it, but um, we're not we're always consciously breathing. Yeah, so it's it's stopping and listening to the person and not thinking which that's that was the temptation on stage, is they're doing something towards a scene and therefore I'm going to try and be funny. You know, I, I've got to think of a funny response so that I look good at this. No, what you have to do is focus on what that person's doing and then then you come up with a better response. And so then that piece of not censoring what comes in, I love that yeah. as well. <laughs> so have a look at um, Keith Johnston's book. It's just called Impro, I-M-P-R-O, and there's some stuff in there about status and spontaneity and, and narrative and a few other things, but the, some of his underlying messages I think are really useful, particularly for, you know, parenting and problem solving and, you know, steering your own life and trying to be more creative or clever in your own world. Uh, he's, he's got some brilliant insights. Yeah, I was just thinking about where, where else you might apply that sense of not, not censoring um, what's coming out and you were just talking about like even problem solving or, mm. um, you know, mapping out a bit of a plan. They, they might be some environments. Is there any other places where you've seen that work quite effectively where you've been able to challenge people to go, you know, don't, don't let go of trying to get the, the right answer, mm. uh, but just yeah. give me something and then we can work with that something. Yeah. I think in, in any sort of conversations, anytime, anytime you're having to have one of those tough conversations or a deeply emotional conversation or a tricky topic or something you might be feeling um, uncertain about, like I had a meeting a week or so ago and I was very anxious about what was going to be discussed and how, you know, how, what was going to happen. And... I decided to play impro. That is, I would sit and completely focus on what this person was saying and stop my internal answers that (laughs) that were being provided kindly by my brain and then just listen to what they were saying because I was actually able to find, you know, I was more resourceful as a person. I was more tuned into what they're saying. So then my brain's able to give me better better responses, better ideas, better solutions. And the meeting was nowhere near 
as bad as my creative brain was conjuring beforehand. <laughs> it's it's where creativity's, you know, not so helpful. The downside. Yeah. <laughs> you can think of all the ways it's not going to work. That's right. <laughs> and, and I think about how much I might have been overthinking that, whereas the improv skill is you know, kind of work with what, accept the offer, accept what the other person's putting on the table and work from that. And I would imagine the experience from the other side, from that person, because as human beings, we're very tuned into when someone is present, when they're Mm. there, um, versus when they have something else that that Mm. is going on for them, even though we're doing all the visuals Mm. of I'm listening. Mm. So the experience for them would have been much more a sense of someone's actually heard me. Yes. Uh, which is really powerful. Yes. I think it's one of the biggest gifts we can kind of give people, That's to be right. honest. That's right. Um, the power of actually really being present to that. Is it, where do you find the, I'm going to use the word balance, but <laughs> the balance between doing the work and then being present to where you are right at the moment. So there's sometimes that creative mind of it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket becomes because you are obviously invested in it Mm. and you want to do the work to make sure that it works out well, that you look prepared, that you have actually done the thinking. Um, So where does that start end and where does that then go into, well, I'll just be present and move? Because I think if we're going without having done the work, that can be a bit of a recipe for chaos. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but if you go in doing the work but aren't present, that's also a recipe yeah, for yeah, yeah. you're trying to push something that maybe is not right. How, how do you navigate that <laughs> seesaw? <laughs> um, I think I've, I've spent the last, I don't know, eight to ten years doing some of my facilitation work and training in visuals and facilitation, other skills, and working with software developers and a lot of them quite geeky and would like to work on their own, but they're very, they can be very good collaborators. And what I've learned from them is that they put uh, their ideas and their experiments out there way sooner than most of us mere mortals. <laughs> uh, and what I've noticed also is that we tend to see whatever our go date is for our own project or our own idea, we think it's a long way out that it's weeks and days ahead, whereas they tend to release things a lot quicker and a lot sooner in smaller pieces of work and smaller increments, as they say, and they test that out and get some feedback on it. And it's like, wow, why aren't we doing this? Why don't we do this in life instead of not the reverse, which is, oh, just press go and it's all chaos Mm. (laughs) and it's crappy, But we also don't want the reverse, which is we keep working on something for weeks and months and years and don't do anything with it. Yeah. So not only for my own experience but then for others is some of that how do you be present is get out of what you're working on because we get sucked down into this hole so if you can come up, lift your head up, have a bit of a look around, meerkat style, you know, what's going yeah. on, and get a little bit of perspective. And then usually my advice is, well, go with what you've got. Let's just put it out there, test it with a few people and get some other sort of measure or validation. So go sooner than you think 
and and a bit of a, an experiment or a barometer or temperature gauge, whatever it is. We're just going to check out some of what we've done rather than trying to make the, the thing finished or the thing perfect. And I can imagine then going back, you know, back into the work is then re-energised. You're looking yes. at it different, as you say, a different perspective rather than, um, and it's something that I often say to even our team is, I don't want you to work and work and work and hope for this magic ta-da moment. <laughs> like we almost, and it's and it's this unwritten rule of going, if I go ta-da, everyone will gasp and say, that's incredible yes. and where did that come from? But it never happens no. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and you always go, oh, okay, well, tweak it like this. You're like, oh, if only I'd known that's three weeks ago there when I go. was caught in it. So yeah. I love that sense yeah. of go with where you've gotten, We've to gotten to and go earlier than you think. Challenge mm. yourself, run mm. that experiment, put it up, yeah. have a look for it. That's right. That, that Get that curiosity we were talking about before. Go with, oh, I wonder how this might land and wonder that earlier than than hoping and and working on something, thinking it's going to be magical at the end because you could be way off course. Yes. And not know it. Yeah, in an open field going to that and no one's around. (laughs) That never works. (laughs) Now, you've lived and breathed this process. Your book, uh, which is is out now, is called Ish and it's now a word. So we're going to talk a little bit about the word Ish, Mm. uh, which is kind of... A nice way of going, yeah, it's it's vaguely kind of like that. And it, the tagline to it is the problem with our pursuit for perfection and the life-changing practice of good enough. You did this book in iterations. Mm. So what we've just been talking about is go with what you've got, put it out there. This with The book that I have is iteration number five. We don't normally do iterations on books. <laughs> it is usually a project that is quite literally a ta-da, here it is, the hard copy. But you've challenged that. Uh, was that something you did intentionally and how did you find that process? Mm, I thought I would uh, have to walk my talk. You know, we often hear that idea of do what you say you'll do or... Uh, you know, your words have to match you, you have to be congruent. And I thought, well, how can I how can I keep working on this book for over two years or whatever and then go, ta-da, there it is. So I thought, let's just get a first version done because you can do that with printing on demand and just get the cover, you know, quickly whack something together and put it out there. And so I did that, gave it to a few people, tell me what you think. Am I, what, you know, what are you, am I onto something here or not? And... That was fine. I got How some feedback. How did that feel, like getting to that? Was that hard to do? Because Not that, that first one. I felt like it was, was you know, when people talk about having a soft launch yes. or something and they gradually open the box, they don't fully open the box. So it was just here's half a dozen copies to a few people who'd expressed interest when I said this is what I was thinking and writing about. Um, so that first version was okay and then I made some changes and... I tended to keep going down the same path. I, the, the difference between, say, iterations one, two and three, wouldn't, I don't think they were hugely different because I was probably stuck on a bit of a path. So then iterations four and five, now dramatically, I would say dramatically different, better. Mm-hmm. So we can't expect that, that first draft of what we do to, to be perfection. And it was people's commentary, feedback, advice, insights that I took notice of. And sure, some of them hurt a little bit, (laughs) but you go, no, there must be some truth or could be some truth in there. So let me add that in. 
and let me take that advice on and see what I could do with it rather than going, ta-da, and then you, you could be drowned in criticism and rejection after having nothing. You know, you've, re- you've received no insight, no feedback for a huge period of time, whereas during these iterations I was getting used to it and curious so when it got into the hands of an editor, instead of going, oh, I wonder what she's going to say, I was instead going, oh, I wonder what she's going to say. Yeah, which is such a different mindset. Yeah. It's a different feeling. It's a different, there's almost the excitement rather than the fear or sometimes exhaustion. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm so done with it. And, but yes. no one else has yeah. had a chance to look at it, but it's the first time it feels like it hits someone that's it. to have a look at it, whereas you've had yeah. that. And it, and it sounds like you kind of built that muscle because I can imagine some of that would sting a little mm. bit mm. Um, of people not really understanding the, the process that you're going through mm. and so this it might be feedback perceived on is this the perfect version yeah. when you're kind of like, oh, no, it's not. not. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you then sift out um, in amongst that? Because we can also as human beings start to get onto a bit of a high horse as Ooh, going, yes. well, you don't know what I'm trying to achieve or you don't know where I'm going and so then not actually hear the quality of the feedback that might be in amongst all of that. Yeah, yeah. As so well. that's that, that mantra of careful who you listen to and and look at what they're saying from their perspective. And, and I was looking at them, you know, are they representative of the kinds of readers I'm thinking about when I'm writing this? Um, and and to also take, um, take advice on board but still come back to what's the thing I'm trying to do? You know, what's what's my message or what's my idea? And yeah, not not climb up on the hobby, the high horse, the hobby horse uh, or the platform. Don't climb too high up, you know, to preach my my thinking. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned before, was it a, you know, tricky process? Yeah, because mechanically, you know, people have gone, yeah, I've got that book. And I'll say, yeah, what iteration have you got? Mm. Oh, I've got iteration three. I'm like, chuck it out. We've got a better one. <laughs> <laughs> this one's, yeah. This is it different. Now. This is it. And space. yes, there are a few spelling mistakes and a few little typo issues here and there. But in the main, that's it. That's the book I've done the audio recording of. That's the book. That's the e-book. Yeah. Yeah. And the I almost think you have to plant the typos in there because of the type <laughs> of book that it is for the perfectionist to go read it again. <laughs> so you talk about perfectionism has been, um, uh, it's, it underlies our overthinking, our sense of burnout, uh, overwhelm in, in work, um, which can then lead to depression and anxiety. So it's got a lot to answer sure for. Does. What what can we do or how can we approach this sense of, well, I guess if I come back to the question, how do you know that actually it might be an issue in your world? <laughs> what are some of the signs yeah. that perfectionism is showing up for you? Yeah, and I, I could say, you know, most of us have some perfectionist tendencies. So a lot of people will say, oh, I'm only a bit of a perfectionist. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I go, great, you know, you already recognise that there are some things that have to be a certain way and uh, stacking the dishwasher, you know, it has to be done in this particular way. Not in my house, Lou, not in my house. <laughs> See, so as long as I don't have to do it, it's either okay. So you're pretty ish, right, about totally. the dishwasher. <laughs> but I heard of a, a relationship that broke up because she believed pasta should be str- 
strained through a sieve and he believed that pasta should be strained through a colander and neither of them would let go of the the perfection around that. This is the way it has to be done. And so they are, you know, it's probably just a symbol of other yes, things. Yes, yeah, the, that malleability wasn't there. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't there. Um so now I'm going, what was the question? <laughs> yeah, so what are some of the signs <laughs> yes, of perfectionism? Of what does that look like or yeah. what to be mindful of? Yeah, so I think the as soon as you, you're working on, on a project or task and you think this isn't good enough yet, I can't show it or I can't share it, as soon as you have that thought is is a real trigger moment it's to go, ah, hang on, I'm I'm going for some target or standard here. And the important thing is we need to actually define what that standard is because perfection, we create that image in our mind and we're pretty awesome humans but it is difficult to conjure up <laughs> magically the image that we have in our mind. We've only got our hands and brain to work and, yeah, so sometimes creating this magical image is a difficult thing to do no matter how long we work on it. So as soon as you say, mm, not uh, yet. it's not good enough yet, mm-hmm. and that's a number one trigger. Um, if you find yourself, you know, if you find yourself working back late or you think, I can't go to sleep yet, I've got to keep doing this, or I've got to put another 30 minutes or another hour, or it's got this extra time that's needed, that's another kind of clue that, oh, hang on, I'm going for an undefined, ill-defined standard. And uh, I'd also say just do a little quick poll amongst family and friends and they'll let you know because they love you as you are. We're all imperfect. Um, And they'll give you a little bit of a clue about some of the things you, you know, you might have some certain standards on, uh, on perfectionism. But, you know, we can laugh about it, but it's also got some horrible consequences of depression and anxiety, suicidal thoughts, um, insomnia, burnout, asthma, migraines, 51% increased chance of death, all stemming from people pursuing and pushing themselves to these these standards. So you, you make the call for people getting to good enough. Mm. How, like, what's that transition from a and you even call yourself a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> which I love. No, I'm going to put myself in that boat as well. Um, what is that kind of pathway from starting to recognise and then I guess getting to that recovery of good enough? Because when you start, I imagine that good enough is pretty close to perfect. <laughs> like, that's my definition mm. or that's, that could be someone's definition as they kind of hear that. So, so what does good enough mean when it comes to work or um, an idea or putting something forward? Yeah, so good enough, uh, the that something is fit for purpose or it will do uh, or it will do the job. And what happens is throughout our day, we ish, we go, we accept near enough is good enough Mm -hmm. a lot. You know, we make decisions about what we're going to have for breakfast, how our hair looks, what clothes we put on, the car park we chose. There's a whole range of decisions we make through the day and we can quite automatically go for ish on things. We'll go, oh, yeah, that'll do that. That's good enough. I'll do that. That'll, that's good enough. That's good enough. And these are all examples of mm. us automatically, habitually choosing uh, a standard that we believe will do the job. The The thing with perfectionism is to go, hang on, are there some some things here that I'm st- 
still searching or what's called maximising. I continue to search for information. I'm not happy with the information I've got. I still believe there's more. Um, I'm, I'm not satisfied with with what we've got so far. You know, a friend's doing this at the moment, looking for an Airbnb in their, their family holiday destination. She's been looking every night online for about three hours. You know, she must have spent about 40-something hours looking for the perfect Airbnb for the family holiday. And uh, I'd suggest she's already found it, (laughs) but she's doing this maximising. She's continuing to look for more and more. And so economists call it the law of diminishing returns, Mm. that up to a certain point, our effort is really helpful and useful. And then there's a tipping point where it starts to be wasteful. Yes. And I reckon if I asked her, when do you reckon you're looking for the Airbnb started to become wasteful, she will, she will know. She'll yes. know. She'll yeah. be able to point, oh, it was Tuesday afternoon. I'd actually found these three really good ones, but I thought maybe there's a better one. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to miss out. It's almost that loss aversion just in case yeah. if I'd looked another hour, but yeah, actually. Right. <laughs> so the data on that, if I'd worked another hour, find doesn't impact the quality of your decision and doesn't impact the quality of the work. What it does is make us feel better about the decision. It only, it makes us feel better about the quality right. of work. Right. So the quality, the outcome doesn't, doesn't affect it. it. <laughs> we're, we're just looking for the pat on the back That's before right. someone else gives so it. So why not? That's true. That's that <gasps> yes. point of let the go point. We can go earlier you can go earlier and feel better about it, knowing that you're not wasting all this time and putting in all this extra yeah. effort. That it's done. It's then done. you can start packing or you can start getting yeah. ready for the holiday or getting excited or, yeah, Go do something else that's on your, your to-do list. Yes. You know? yeah. yeah. So you talk about uh, experiments mm. and using that as part of that pathway from perfectionist to, mm. to good enough what might be some experiments or, you know, how how might someone tackle an experiment? What does that look like? How could they play with that <laughs> yeah. in this space? I think uh, let's say if you had an idea for a business or a product or a service, you know, whether it's a side hustle or it's a, a full-time gig or some some new dimension, any of those is is an opportunity for an experiment. And you don't have to create the full product or the full service or the full website. It's getting what the software world call a minimum viable product. So you just get the very basic straw man or the very basic bones of something together and then run that idea past some people. Um, I think we do it, you know, when we're preparing a meal or trying a new recipe. You know, that's an experiment. Mm. Hmm, Let me substitute this for this and let's see what happens. So similarly, we, we experiment a lot in uh, in our daily lives. This is being a little bit more deliberate about it. Yeah, so the, what I'm looking at, whether it's a project or yeah. a piece of work or a um, proposal or a, a full business, where yeah. can I experiment and run with it? Because, and you're right, we do it, we do it all the time mm. in our daily mm. life. So we have the muscle and capability. It's yeah. just then applying it. My kids would definitely say me cooking is an experiment every <laughs> single night. <laughs> it's, <safe. laughs> it is. it's an experiment in them it eating is. it probably is for the experiment. But all of the, you know, all of the things that we're enjoying in our world today, they've all come from experiments and people trying new things or pushing a boundary or, oh, what does this button do? And, oh, what if I combine these two elements? So there's that's that curios- curiosity, that wonder, test it out, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I think the control freakiness says 
no, I'm, I'm not willing to see what happens. Sometimes that control freak and even the pursuit for perfectionism is around uh, what will others think? Yes. So we can be on the journey and we're okay to experiment. We can let go of that control, but uh, it might be a boss or a colleague or a customer or a family member mm. or friend who goes, but you haven't done this and this mm. isn't okay and what are you putting that out for? How do we deal with that? <laughs> Well, that's, uh, you've highlighted now another type of perfectionism. So there's three types. The first one is where we have high standards for ourselves and that's on the rise. (laughs) Um, Is that ever okay? Like just, you know, the difference between not perfectionism but the high standards and and trying to sift that out. Mm. Where does that sit So I, I'd, I'd go, what what do you mean high standard? Like what is the standard? And I, I wrote a blog about it recently that, that someone has high standards for themselves. What does that mean? <laughs> what, what is the standard show that you're the going stick for? That yeah, you're show me. What, yeah, what's, okay. what are you going for? Or it has to look this way or it has to be perfect. What What is that? Yes. So he's defining okay. yep. this thing more. So that first one of high standards for yourself. Um, the second is believing that society expects more of you or has high standards for you. So this is the what will other people think or mm. I couldn't do that because it wouldn't be accepted. Mm-hmm. And that's also on the increase. And the third one is when we have high standards for others. Yes, and okay. <laughs> also on the increase. So all of these, that's why I think the, the perfectionism topic struck me was and the connection I brought it towards Ish is that all of these types of perfectionism are on the increase. So it's not like it's just a little thing. It's something that's, you know, globally affecting people and affecting our mental health and how we feel about ourselves and what we're doing and, and the generations we're raising. So, yeah, if if someone else is expecting high standards of you, then we need to find out what their standard is, like what were they expecting? Mm-hmm. And so a question, <laughs> you know, to find out what what did you want it to look like or when what, what were you expecting would happen? And I don't think we're very good at having that kind of conversation and it happens a lot when maybe we've got a task to do. Usually we're deadline-driven, date-driven, due on this date, but we don't talk about the quality or the standard we're going for. So we work flat out as hard as we can towards the deadline when, in fact, maybe only a couple of hours' work were needed Mm. if we knew what the standard was. Which it comes back to almost that, almost see the meerkat (laughs) coming back in, is is checking in again well before that due date, is going, this is the direction I'm heading, this is what I'm going to be working on, I'm going to invest four hours into it, then it allows the other person to go, oh, no, 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 just half an hour, I only need dot points. That's right. So, And I think that's what we we often miss in some of those kind of conversations. Even if you pop up and you're going, but I'm doing the dot points, and they went, no, 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 I need you to spend two days on it. Yeah, yeah. Then then as much as that might feel like it's more, at least that's been kind it's of clear said clear out. So in a work context that can be useful because you're often talking about a thing. Uh, in family and friends, that's not always the case. Mm, mm. <laughs> Do you have any tips and hints on how to still love our family and friends <laughs> yeah. who might have a sense of perfectionism for us? Um, or even when, and that third one, I guess, and I hadn't thought of that, that 
when are we putting that on on others? Um, because if we're going to also start to ask that of our family and friends, um, then are we also, you know, putting a not unrealistic but a, an overinflated mm. sense of a standard or a level on on others? How might we deal with those more, I guess, personal relationships? Yeah. Yeah, because this is a generational thing. So we have have probably learned this from our upbringing. I know I sure have. Um, and, and so there's a lot of unlearning that needs to go on. But for me, coming back to we've talked the theme curiosity and so it's a question. Yeah. It's simply so, oh, what were you expecting I'd do or what were you expecting from me or what do you need from me? Or how can I help you with this? Or what would you like me to do? Yes. So these are all, if you can hear them, they're all open questions, which is the who, what, when, where, why, how question, rather than the closed questions, which are the is, are, did, would, could, mm. can, will. They're all the, the things that close questions down and, and it's, did I do it well enough? Is that what you were looking for? These are all those yes or no questions. Yeah, okay. So what so might that can, look yeah, like? Yeah, tease out more of what someone was expecting. Um, then we've got the chance to come back with a bit more information Ooh. about our situation. And it's almost getting rid of the assumptions that we might yes. put into place. That's yes. what this is when you're kind of talking what's coming to mind for me. Um, I'll share with you something that I've changed recently and mm. this will be... Um, this will be an insight for my husband who won't have known this, mm -hmm. but he might hear this on the podcast, is um, I always had this sense of duty and through that upbringing that if someone is asking you for where where something is, then I would go and find it or right. I would go and search for it and that was kind of part of my role. Um, and I've realised that kind of pattern and in the last, I think I've probably done it for six to 12 months now, that if anyone in the family, kids or Darren, um, say, oh, do you know where the car keys are, for mm. example, I now just say, no, <laughs> I don't. Love it. Because that's all they've asked. Yes. They haven't asked me to go and find them. If they yes. do, I will go and ask, but... The, the, my assumption was, well, you want me to go and find it, so I'll spend 20 minutes going and finding it, whereas the actual <laughs> question was, do you know where it is? The answer's no. No. But the question could be, <laughs> have you seen the car keys? Yes. Yeah. Could you go and find the car keys Do you for mind me? helping me because yeah. I need to? Absolutely. These not are a different, <laughs> very different questions. That sense of the assumption that yeah. we jump in or that we think that we have to be a certain person or do a certain thing. So even that, it starts, I love that, that invitation. It's almost that, how do I start with me and then ask those really open yeah. questions without a sense of duty. Yeah, there's an inquiry mm. um, and a gathering of information rather than an interrogation of yep. the, of the um, closed question. Yeah, yeah. do you know where they go? No, I no, don't. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if he's noticed, but I have a giggle every time we ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's out there you now. You want me to look for him? I can find him. <laughs> see where we go. <laughs> Often our, our sense of value and our worth is connected to doing things great or mm. being perfect. So if we're now going to ish, <laughs> if we're going to drive for good enough, yes. how might that have an impact on our sense of self-worth? Mm. Well, at first we'll feel like 
what we're doing isn't good enough because it'll be a, it'll be a lower standard than what we've been doing previously. But the curious thing is there's a, a thing called the spotlight effect, which is one of those biases that we believe people are paying more attention to us than they actually are. <laughs> so we think that people are seeing all of the things we're doing and all of the things we're thinking and we're in our world and we often don't probably don't think, but we don't realise that they're in their world. <laughs> and so people aren't paying as much attention to the things we're doing as we think they are. God damn it, Lena. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but that's actually one of those you know, almost oh, freeing insights, is. isn't it? Oh, oh, it's liberating. That's that's the feeling. It's like, ah, oh, right, so I'm not under the spotlight. I think I am. Sometimes I will be. Uh, there are certain points of time when you are under the spotlight, but you're not under the spotlight all the time. And so you're actually able to get away with <laughs> more than you think you are. And that's not in a bad way. No, that's <laughs> you, not the lesson from this. <laughs> no, but. it's that you can ease the pressure and expectation you have of yourself. That was that first type of perfectionism. Mm. You can release some of that pressure and people will not notice they will not know that you are ishing. Oh, how good is that? So amazing, <laughs> amazing, because they're seeing what's in front of yeah. them without having known all the iterations or no. the other thinking or where you wanted to take it and mm. it's it's fine and functional and this is great and I'll, I can get on with my work. Yeah, yeah. Now. A colleague the other day said she'd been preparing to talk on a panel at an event and she said normally she would have spent days and days and days preparing for it. But all she did was ish. So she said, now, what are the key points I want to make? She reread a few of her um, papers and information. So she was prepared. And then she just went and trusted her inner workings, like the Keith Johnstone, mm -hmm. didn't censor herself, gave her thoughts. And she said she felt more comfortable, less stressed, more confident, and she'd spent way less time. So she's going, I'm issuing a heap of things now mm. because of that experience. So she tried, done a bit of an experiment. experiment. Yeah, yeah. And then how do we kind of move forward? Mm. So that sense of what is it today in the next hour? Yeah, what could I ish could today? Ish? <laughs> <laughs> is there ever a time that you shouldn't ish? Yes, I think there's the to ish or not to ish. <laughs> uh, and I think of things like surgery and aviation and construction and engineering and food handling and there's a myriad of industries that have standards for a reason is that people working in them have to perform tasks to a certain standard and that standard is documented. And this is the thing with us. We don't have, we're not setting standards. We just have this magic perfection we're going for. So, you know, tragically, the Takata airbag recall, which is current, is one of the, the the world's biggest product recall of all time. It's the airbag inflators in cars that have been exploding in people's faces, killing people. Um, millions of cars recalled to be checked around the world. Lots of advertising campaign around that. And what you can see is that that company, they ished when they shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. And they made a series of decisions accepting a lower standard and putting in the, the combustion elements in that airbag thing, cheaper elements that really belonged in mining and construction, blowing up the earth, not blowing up a delicate airbag that's going to then 
you know, cushion someone's face in an accident. So there's a classic example of a series of people who ish when they absolutely shouldn't have. Um, I've seen it recently in construction, uh, you know, housing with cladding on the outside and lots of, you know, building issues, things that people have signed off on and they've ished where they shouldn't have. There was a standard and they haven't met the standard. So, yeah, there are some, you know, deadly serious consequences of ishing in industries and sectors where it shouldn't be. Um, and I think you're tapping into that there's a standard there for a reason, so so follow that. It's part mm. of that kind of clarity of expectation is that, well, what's the expectation here? What's the standard yes. we're trying to achieve? And so if there is one, absolutely. It sounds like you hit it. that's where it, that to ish or not to ish comes yes. into play. And then the bits where often there's not a standard, where there is more and more in workplaces and in our world where that requires innovation, creativity, ingenuity, um, you know, trying to do something or create something we haven't done before. Mm. So there currently isn't a standard no. uh, that, that that might be some spaces and places to put something out. Definitely. To get good enough Definitely. to iterate, to get feedback, to yep. shift and to change. And, and the feedback or the iteration might not be you, it might be someone else. It might mm. be passed on to the next, to the next division yeah. or the next yeah. space and place. And we see that that idea of iteration and subsequent versions of things. You know, you have a look at the apps on your phone and you'll see the number. It's up to version 6.71284327. And that's how many iterations it's gone through. And and so they're they're releasing uh, slightly improved versions each time. And we can do the same with with our ideas, with our processes, whether it's at home or um, you know, how I saw, was talking to a family the other day about how they pack the car for when they're going on a holiday. So they've, they're iterating it and they're experimenting with a few different ways of, because they've got an extra family member now, it's like how do we fit everybody in? And, and that's an experiment and they've been involving their kids. And it's just gorgeous to see them all putting their ingenuity onto the task that it doesn't have to be packed this particular way. They're actually discovering things. I love that. It's, so it's almost like starting the fun of a holiday yes. before you even leave the driveway as opposed to the angst of whoever <laughs> <laughs> normally does it and has and to be done a And the responsibility and the accountability mm. and the problem solving that was going yeah. on with the kids. Yeah. Uh, was, yeah. So that was, uh, as a result, the... Um, one of the parents had said, yeah, I've, I've read Ish and we're Ishing a whole bunch of things on this holiday. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and that's, you know, that it has, it can be carried by other people. It doesn't yes. have to be carried by yeah. you. I think that that can be a common thread as we, we kind of go through as well. Yeah. We sort of started this conversation talking about how curiosity and diving into curiosity can change your perspective on things and to see things differently. And, and I guess that, you know, let's, what are the ways we can be curious about what, what could be good enough and what we mm. could get out there and therefore what perspective we could shift and shift and change. What are the things that you're starting to look at for you personally in your own world at the moment um, to be curious about and see things differently? Because life is busy for you and mm. like everyone else, there can be certain standards or level of excellence we have for ourselves how do you kind of navigate or duck and weave that for you personally? Um, one area is in what you might call preparation. So if I've got a meeting or I'm running a workshop or delivering a training, I might have spent 
lots of time preparing. Some people say there's a rule or you have to do X number of hours for X number of hours in front of a group. And I'm trying to do less and less preparation, which means I'm more and more present with what happens on the day with that group. Um, So it's how do I keep extending this into the areas of my life where in a way it doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. but then it ends up. It's it's a good thing. Yes. So the the thing I end up focusing on is what can I care less about, and therefore what do I need to care more about? I love that. That's <laughs> yeah. like it's almost kind of counter to what we feel like we should That's be doing. Right. It's like you mean you want me to care less? Yeah. Uh, and there are things that we, I mean, you've been uh, facilitating working with organisations for over twenty years. Mm. So there's there's also an inbuilt muscle, a trust, a, a you know, knowing in that environment that it's not new. Um, I love that concept of what can I care less about? <laughs> so <laughs> Which then what can I therefore yeah. care more about? So care less about more and care more about less. Because mm-hmm. we care a whole heap about a whole heap of stuff and we that's the stuff we can let go and we can ish. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to go and ish, ish the family <laughs> a little bit more. Maybe and, they can do the cooking. <laughs> and they won't even know. No, no. That's <laughs> been an insight for me as well is when you ish other people don't. They don't know. Even pick up. They don't even know. Uh, so you don't even have to n- make an announcement about it is if you just start ishing some things, people people won't notice. Mm. Yeah. But they're seeing momentum, they're seeing, some, yeah. they're seeing things yeah. come out, they're yeah. seeing shifts and changes and getting feedback on that. I want to come full circle. The name mm. of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does that mean to you? What does it take to live a standout life? Looking through that lens of perfectionism, it's probably a stand. Oh, does it have to be a standout life for me? Is it a standout life for others? Or do other people think that I'm standing out enough? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole lot of pressure right there, right? How crazy. <laughs> so standout life is is probably making some elements, uh, try and make an, some element of every day a bit of a standout. You know, it doesn't mean I'm standing out but something stood out for me, whatever that is. Love it. Whatever that is. Yeah. Find it, get curious about it and come back to it. Yeah. I've loved this conversation, Lynn. Thank you so much for your time. (laughs) Thanks for bringing this conversation to the platform because I completely agree. I think it's on the rise and it has dramatic impact and effect on people and it can be life-changing to come back to what's good enough, what am I going to care less about (laughs) And what am I going to care more about? Thank you. Thank you, Ali. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.